Thanks so much for tuning in to the Leesburg Daily, a Monday, Wednesday, Friday podcast where we dive into scripture, we study together, and then we apply it to, to our lives. Today we pick up in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, the end of chapter 5 really. It's an interesting passage, a, a, a neat passage. We've been dealing largely with widows the past couple days. And now in verse 17, we shift um, not to widows, but to elders. Now, now, we've talked a little bit about what an elder is. Uh, the, the word there is presbyteros, um, um, which generally refers to an, an older man, a, a man who is uh, leading within the church. And a couple things, I guess, stand out as we start to look again at church leadership. In our world today, uh, in the North American Christian church, uh, we we often uh, look at the church through the lens of of America. Um, and listen, I'm a I'm a patriot. I, I love America. I'm so thankful for America. Um, I, the West is the best hands now. It is fantastic to live here. I'm blessed. We're blessed to have been born and, and, and be living here in America where we have the friends we have, without a doubt. But what we see in the church is not, the, the church is not set up and structured like America. See, in America, the, 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 the power, the authority is given to the people and the people up to the government. I mean, it's we the people who, who in theory, elect uh, politicians who support our desires, our wants, you know, support the people, the, represent, the re- representatives of the people who elect them. Um, in the church, however, it's not like that. In the church, instead of elections and voting, we never see that throughout the scripture. Instead, what we see is appointments by church leadership. The church leadership appoints other church leadership. It raises people up to lead the masses. So we've seen that a little bit throughout First Timothy, as far as elders and who should be appointed as elders and characteristics of a good elder. Um, we continue some of that thought today. Uh, 1st Timothy chapter 5 verse 17 it says the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double, double honor especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching you see there's another uh, element here of eldership and that is um, the the elders who rule rule well of course the idea of ruling well might be um, subjective to a, to a point but specifically, what role is that talking about? Well, clearly that's talking about the role that Sammy would have here at Leesburg, for example. He's our our, our primary, uh, our lead pastor. Uh, as that lead pastor, he's also, um, uh, the, the, well, he, he's the, and if, uh, I don't know what the real title is, but um, he's seen with double honor. as He's a leader within the church and also the primary preacher and teacher there's a lot that could be said about the double honor and what that is and all but part of that is referring to as he quotes scripture here in verse 18 Paul says the scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wages 
uh, one is quoting Deuteronomy, and the other is uh, is is quoting Luke, perhaps, or at least what we have recorded in Luke, um, um, uh, which deals with um, the labor and his wages are attributed to, to to Jesus' words there. Uh, anyway, the, the the point I suppose here that that we need to uh, be clear on is. Um, it's drawing a, a clear parallel with the idea of uh, of that elder receiving payment and income from the church. Um, Deuteronomy and Luke chapter ten, both in course. Paul's talks about this elsewhere. For example, in First Corinthians uh, chapter nine, um, uh, a couple times there he he, he says, um, let's see. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14. In the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the, go- proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So, so here it's that same idea. Uh, the church ought to support the elder who is, uh, uh, who is leading and teaching in that, in that regard. Look at verse 19. Um, verse 19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except... In the basis of two or three witnesses. Now, this is a big thing. Of course, this is an Old Testament um, Jewish law uh, uh, custom that carried over, and with good cause, and, and and really should apply largely today as well. Don't receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. I mean. I I don't know. There's a lot I want to say about that, and probably shouldn't. But 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 think about how that has been abused in our world today. If there's an accusation against an elder, it should be testified by multiple people. And so Paul said, "Don't receive that accusation. Don't listen to it." Look, look at verse twenty. Those who continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all. Now the question here is, who who which who is the lows? Is it the elders who continue to sin, or is that general people? In verse nineteen, I'm sorry, in verse twenty. Well, I, I think it's largely uh, uh, referring to the elders. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearing, fearful of sinning. I think not only does that apply to elders in this sense, but also church. Discipline staff matters as well. Those who continue to sin rebuking the presence of all so that the rest will be fearful. The rest being the rest of the church leadership will be fearful of sinning. I think that's how it parallels today, without a doubt. Uh, I think sometimes we can be a little too gracious in that. But if but if I'm in sin, I need to be rebuked in the presence of all the others. And, and so the, the, I guess the question is those is referring to the elders in the presence of all. Well, who are the all? Is it the general church or uh, the elders? Well, I think in, in that situation, again, I think it's still referring to the body of elders. So my sin should be rebuked in the presence of the rest of the leadership. I should be held accountable in the presence of the rest of the leadership. And, and, and they also should be held accountable in that same way. Uh, let's see, verse 21. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias uh, 
doing nothing out of the spirit of partiality. See, what we see here is we see that Timothy is like that lead elder, that elder that's worthy of double honor, whose charge is to keep uh, everyone following these uh, these rules. Paul charges in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and his chosen angels. Now, that's a pretty big charge. That's a heavy load to put on to him. This is a command Paul's giving to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing out of the spirit of partiality. See, that fairness is a quality of Christian leadership as well. Maintain these rules. Don't bend these rules because you prefer one person over the other. Be fair. Be non-partial. It's a virtue of Christian leadership that needs to be obtained. Look at verse twenty-two. He continues this this idea with dealing with with dealing with um, um, uh, elders. Do not lay hands on anyone too hastily, and thereby f- share in the responsibility for the sins of others, but keep yourself free from sin. Well, what he's talking about here is the appointment of elders. Don't lay hands on. Don't appoint anyone too prematurely too hastily see see what we understand this will be developed later on in this passage uh, what we need to understand is there are things that can be hidden and things that can be hidden well and so you should know the individual before you lay hands on this this idea of and this was talked about earlier with timothy's uh, appointment by the elders when they laid hands when paul says don't neglect the uh, the ministry testified to you about when the elders laid hands on you and prophesied about you that's going to be happening here Paul says don't lay hands on anyone don't ordain anyone into Christian service as an elder or pastor because if you do too hastily then their sinfulness and the responsibility for the sins of others falls on you instead keep yourself free from sin you should be very careful about who you appoint, who you um, elect in that in that way. And then there's a little note in here, uh, and, and there's some de- debate whether how this ties to the previous verses. Verse 22, he says, No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Well, so, so he's been talking about sinfulness and appointment of leadership and and all of that and all the double work-ish that was put onto this lead pastor's role. And now he, I think he draws his attention to, well, let's remember who I'm talking to. Timothy, he's got this frail stomach. He's got this, uh, this issue. And so don't just drink water or drink wine. It's good for your stomach. Um it's like a little parenthetical note. He he remembers his audience, and then he finishes finishes this um, with verse twenty four, which I think ties better with verse twenty two. Verse twenty four, he ends and he says, "Look, the sins of some men, some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise." Deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. Uh, what Paul's talking about here is he's talking about the the importance, um, uh, where he's talking about the, the, the fact that um, 
nothing that's hidden will be concealed. It really plays off this idea of keeping yourself pure, this charge to Timothy to keep yourself pure uh, that, that, that he made in verse um, 22. There's a distinction drawn here between men and women whose sins are uh, clearly evident and those whose sins are not immediately evident. But they will ultimately be brought out. There are some who are pursued by those sins. Now, judgment could be the judgment of the elders in Timothy, but I think here, ultimately, it's the judgment of God that's in mind. In verse 5, it seems uh, even clearer uh, where the good works are set side by side with the the sins. And ultimately, everything is going to be known. So here we have, um, we could have unworthy men might be chosen whose moral uh, issues lie deeper than on the surface. And worthy men whose good actions are not in the limelight, but but might be easily overlooked. And so this whole idea of, of appointing elders demands careful consideration and caution when choosing elders. Why? Because, as he's previously said, don't be hasty to put hands on and appoint elders. Otherwise, you can be culpable for their sinfulness. The sins of some men are evident. Some are buried underneath the surface, and likewise, the good deeds uh, are quite evident, and some can be buried. So, we have to be very careful about the the, the eldership, the leadership that you have. You see, I, I've worked in churches where we have fantastic elders. In fact, our church here—I've never worked with an elder board or an elder group um, that was a a better group. They're fantastic men who who pursue the Lord. Um, but I've worked in previous churches uh, where you had scallywags on elder boards who shouldn't have been elders. Um, and it can have dire consequences for the rest of the church as well. It kills morale. It kills staff-elder relationships, congregation-elder relationships. It's a rough thing when you have the wrong people in the wrong positions. And so there's a warning there that we see throughout Scripture, especially in Paul's writings to Timothy, about the importance of selecting the right elders. And with that being said, that's how we start our Mondays here on the Leesburg Daily, looking at eldership, looking at leadership, and what those qualifications ought to be. Uh, Join me again Wednesday as we start Chapter 6. Thanks for joining us today. God bless, take care, and thanks for listening to the Leesburg Daily.